years ago, uh, a person asked me a question I've never been able to forget. They said, you know, one day when you stand before God and he says, why should I accept you? Why should I let you into my presence? What are you going to say? I remember thinking, wow. And I don't know what your answer is to that question, but this text that we're coming to in Galatians today is powerful. And it really does deal with that same issue. In fact, if you're following along in the notes, what I hope you'll see is that what we're talking about today is how can we be clean, acceptable, and right with God? How can we be clean, acceptable, and right with God? I don't know if you've ever seen this verse from Job 25.4, but here's what one man once asked. How then can man, how can mortals be righteous before God. Here's the, here's the tension, friends. We know two things in our consciences and by our own experience. One, God is righteous. Two, we are not. One, God is righteous. Two, we are not. And when we find out that, then we realize how is a person with that kind of gap between a righteous God and unrighteous people, how is that going to be taken care of? What's, good? You know, what's the deal? How do we go about that? And so there's a lot of us out there that are trying. We just think, I'm going to work harder to bridge that gap. And friends, that's just the popular way to think. So we're going to talk about that today because this text that we're going to look at in Galatians really takes this head on. And it's a perfect passage before communion. I mean, I can't think of a better way to prepare for communion. So if you take out your Bibles to Galatians chapter 2. And if you didn't bring a Bible, uh, we have black ones in the seat rack in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, take it home. We'll replace it, but it's on page 811. And if you're just getting used to your Bible, Galatians is in the back four-fifths of the Bible. It's, It's in the New Testament. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. We're looking at this letter to some people that lived in an area called Galatia. This letter to the Galatians. And we're looking at 2, verse 11 through 21 today. Now, we're in a series, if you haven't been with us, called Free. And we've been understanding that if there's anything Jesus Christ came to do, he came to set us free. Not just from our sins, but from all kinds of other things that come with that. He wants us to live this free life. So he gives us this gift of freedom, but as Christians, as his people, sometimes we go back to patterns, old patterns, old ways, bondages, chains again. And it's all because we really don't fully understand what God has done in our lives. And we we saw that the first week, Paul, in order to tell the the Galatians, the problem was is that there were some people uh, that were called Gentiles, which by the way, I would feel so great today if when you go home today and someone says, what did you learn? This is like no extra charge, okay? That if you were to go home and someone says, what did you learn today? You say, I learned that a Gentile is any person that's not Jewish, okay? Now, I'm going to guess that most people here today are not Jewish. Once in a while, we have guests that are Jewish, and if so, we're glad you're here. But most of us, you know why it's important to know what I just said? Because most of us are Gentiles, okay? We don't regularly say, hello, fellow Gentile, but we are. So, a Gentile is anyone who's not... Okay, we better try it one more time. A Gentile is anyone who's not Jewish. Jewish. Okay, so here's what happened. When the gospel first came, it came through a Messiah who was Jewish. And the Bible says is that God's plan was to come first to the Jewish people and then beyond. 
But the Jewish people had a hard time sharing. And the Jewish people had a hard time believing that God's Messiah was for more than just them. And so what happened is, is as the gospel began to spread, God started reaching out to these Gentile people. What's a Gentile? Anyone who's not Jewish. And they became Christians, and the Jewish Christians would go, okay, now we got to help them become more Jewish. we got to help them follow the laws of Moses. we got to help make sure they're circumcised or not circumcised, and all these other ceremonial and food laws and all this kind of stuff. And man, it just felt like they were going, man, good news about Jesus is getting awful heavy now that you're adding all this stuff on. So we saw that Paul writes this letter to some people that were Gentile Christians who then had some people called Judaizers. That means they were Christians that were Jewish, but they, were, they believed they had to add Jewish laws and Jewish things, so they were Judaizers. They came up to those Christians and started saying, you, you haven't done enough. You need to add something. So Paul said, look, you guys are messing with the gospel. The gospel is this. It's by faith in Christ plus nothing. But you're teaching another gospel, which is really no gospel at all. That's Christ plus something else or plus anything else besides Christ plus nothing. So you see the chains there on the prop? So we've been learning that. Now, last week, the Apostle Paul came to our church in the body of Steve Patsia. <laughs> and uh, if some of you were here, that first-person message was just so helpful. And what Paul was doing in this next section that we saw last week is he was saying, look, you guys are trying to undermine, these Judaizers are trying to undermine my authority by saying I'm not a real apostle. And they're also undermining the message by saying that the gospel that I'm teaching is too easy. That it's not what the other apostles are teaching. He says, so I'm going to do everything I can to show you. No, no, it is by grace. It's not plus all these things that we add on to try and make ourselves feel better about ourselves. So this week, now, he has one more part of his testimony that he says. He said, let me go a step further. I've actually had a confrontation with one of the 12 disciples, Peter, and I want to tell you about that because it has to deal with the same stuff that you guys are struggling with. And I think if I can tell you about what happened with that confrontation and what Peter and I came back to after that, it'll help you. Now, friends, I just want to tell you, we need this message so much because all of us, all of us are susceptible to two temptations particularly. One is, is that we find ourselves constantly trying to earn favor with God. Even after receiving this gift of grace, we go back into these patterns and we go, I got to like prove that I'm worthy of being loved and accepted. And the other thing we do is we're not only tempted to earn, we're tempted to compare. So what happens is from time to time we'll go, well, I may not be the best Christian in the world, but I'm better than that one. Or, you know, I may not, you know, understand everything, but I don't want to hang out with that person, even if they are a Christian. And some of these same problems that show up in Galatians 2 show up in our lives. Some of you know that we're about to take communion. You go to some churches today, they'll say, look, if you're not from our church, I don't care if you're a Christian from somewhere else, we don't invite you to take communion. Well, that's all about some of these same issues, see? <laughs> So we got to understand this better. we got to understand what the root of that is and how to deal with it when it comes out in us, too. So anyway, let me uh, um, ask you, if you would, to open your Bibles there to Galatians 2.11. We'll start there, and uh, we're going to talk first about Paul's confrontation with Peter. How, by the way, how many of you like confrontation? How many of you really like conflict? Now, I've met some people that really do, but most of us don't. And so when we talk about confrontation, we go, oh, man. I don't want to, it makes me nervous. 
I avoid it whenever I can. But there are some confrontations that are good, that are necessary. And I hope you'll see that the way Paul deals with this actually is full of grace. It's not, I'm better than. It's trying to help Peter with something he forgot. So let's look at this, verse 11, and we'll talk about Paul's confrontation. When Cephas, by the way, do you know who Cephas is? Cephas is the Aramaic name for Peter. Okay? So when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. It doesn't mean he stood condemned to hell. It means he stood, he was in the wrong. So for, before certain men came from James, James was a brother of Christ and also one of the other leaders in the church in Jerusalem, he used to eat with the Gentiles. What's a Gentile, by the way? Anyone who's not right. So he used to eat with these Gentile Christians. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group, these Judaizers who are trying to combine Jesus and all this Moses stuff and other things. The other Jews joined in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. Barnabas was Paul's traveling companion, also a leader at the church in Antioch. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, or Peter, in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile now, and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentile Christians to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by obeying the works of the law, Moses, and things like that. So let me just stop there. I think the application Bible gives something helpful, so let me kind of explain what's going on here. It says this, With the speed of remote control switch, the scene changed as Paul began to explain another time when his authority as an apostle had been confirmed. The setting switched from Jerusalem down here to Antioch up in Syria up here. It was a Gentile city that was familiar to the Galatians. There in Antioch, Paul had faced another conflict over his authority. At that time, however, he openly opposed the actions of the Apostle Peter himself. The atmosphere must have been electric. Peter had arrived in Antioch and had been warmly welcomed by the church. He, Paul, Barnabas, and the rest of the leadership, fellowship, taught, and ate together regularly. Though not described in detail, the days must have been eventful and exciting. Then a delegation arrived from Jerusalem, and almost immediately, Peter's treatment of the Gentile Christians changed. He kept his distance from them. He began to treat them, in fact, just as the same as Judaizers had treated them, insisting that fellowship was not possible with Gentile Christians until those Gentiles had also converted to Jewish practices. The implied rejection must have stung the Gentile believers in Antioch. Others, including Barnabas, followed Peter's example, but Paul leaped into the breach with a ringing confrontation. He challenged the inconsistency, even though it was endorsed by a leading apostle, he voiced the uncompromising position that neither he nor Peter were free to set aside the gospel for fear of what others might think. Acceptance of an individual by Jesus makes that person acceptable to every other Christian without condition. Our allegiance to Christ transcends all other allegiances. That's an interesting thing, so let me just walk through the notes with you and kind of unpack this a little bit more. Here's what was going on. First, we see that Peter, who's Cephas in Aramaic, falls into hypocrisy and leads others astray. Peter falls into hypocrisy and leads others astray. What's the word hypocrisy mean? It means doing one thing on the outside and doing another thing on the inside. Uh, the word here is actually play actor. We've talked about this before. Can you picture 
in Greek dramas, they used to bring these masks up, and those people were called hypocritas. They were actors. And so what it is is we've all done this. We've all put on a mask. We've said, hey, how's it going? Yeah, like that, like that. I don't want to hang out with you. Okay, that's what's going on. Peter is going, yeah, I know you're Christians too, but actually I don't think you really are totally Christians, okay? And Paul goes, wait a second, come on. That kind of hypocrisy, that's just like does damage to the church, but it also, it, it's, it's a problem for other reasons. So the second thing is Peter stops eating with Gentile Christians. So he starts out by eating with Gentile Christians, and then as soon as this Judaizer delegation shows up, he goes, uh, yeah, have a nice day. Just hang out with my peeps, you know, over here. And that kind of thing going on was a problem. It was a, it was a total problem. Can you, and we've seen this. We've seen this with cliques. We've seen this sometimes with people, they go, you know, yeah, yeah. They don't, you know, they have too much money. Or they don't have enough money. Oh, they, you know, they're, they're handsome. They're not handsome. All this kind of stuff, okay? And, and so Peter was acting hypocritically, and it was a problem. I want to just tell you, I don't know if you know this, but Peter, we see more of his humanness in the Bible than some of the other followers of Christ. And we studied in John's Gospel, didn't we, how he denied Jesus three times and how Jesus restored him. And then he became this mighty preacher of the Gospel, and he could preach it with power, couldn't he, because he knew how much God had accepted him freely, even though he didn't deserve it. And so what happens is, I want you to see, is that that wasn't the only time Jesus had to keep teaching Peter. See, the problem, if you're following along in the notes, is that Peter's not living in line with the truth of the gospel he knows. Peter's not living in line with the truth of the gospel he already knows. Anybody here ever struggle to live out what you already know? Anybody? I'll do a solo. This should give us so much encouragement that the Christian life isn't just up and to the right. Friends, there is just an ongoing learning process of learning to follow Christ. He has to constantly renew and transform our minds, the way we think. Many of us come out of old habits and old patterns that don't shake easily. And Peter had that same experience. He had been taught since he was a kid, you are a Jewish person. You don't hang out with non-Jewish people, okay? Now, we can't fully appreciate this, and we think we're so tolerant. But we have some of the same kind of hypocrisy in our own lives as well. But in the Middle East culture, they had what they called table fellowship. And the Jewish people especially knew that, you know, you just don't share a meal with anybody because that means that you, when you associate with them, you will totally agree with them and like you're tight with them. Now, Jesus comes along and he has table fellowship with people they call what? Sinners. And what they meant, that was another word for Gentiles. Another word from people far from God. Not Jewish people, not on their company. So Jesus comes along and he has table fellowship. And Peter watched that. And yet he still didn't completely understand it even after Jesus died and rose again. In Acts 10, God comes to him. You can read this on your own. It's completely legal to read outside the church, by the way. And Acts 10, Peter has this vision. He's, he's on the roof of a house. Many people had extra rooms on the roof of their house. And he's waiting for lunch. And God lets down a sheet. And he shows this Jewish guy, Peter, twice a vision of unclean animals that by ceremonial and eating laws, they weren't supposed to eat. And he heard this voice say, rise, kill, and eat. And he said, never, Lord. I'll never do that. And then he hears this voice say, do not call unclean what I have made clean. He kept thinking, what's this all about? Then he had some guys come 
from a Gentile person named Cornelius' house that had come from a long distance to say, we're here, we were told to come get you so you could come tell us about Jesus. So he realizes, I, I think God's trying to change the way I think. So look at what he says in Acts 10, verse 28 and 29. He said to them, once he got to Cornelius' house, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile, but God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? And Cornelius said, uh, when I was praying a few days ago, God showed me that I need Jesus. And he told me that the way that I could learn about Jesus is if I could get a hold of you. So I sent my messengers and they said, come and talk. Come and talk to our friend Cornelius and us. And he did. And when he told them about Jesus, they believed in Jesus and they received the gift of the Holy Spirit too. And it was just a confirmation to this Jewish guy. Oh, he loves more than just Jewish Christians. So he'd already had this experience. Does that make sense? He already knew better. But he was not living in line with the truth of the gospel. And friends, I don't always live in line with the truth of the gospel either. And every time I don't, I head back into things that can enslave and bind you up and chain you, and that's what happens. But here's what I want you to see, is that that doesn't mean that Paul just will, oh well, live and let live. No, he stands up and he goes, Peter! You're throwing all kinds of people into confusion. Now they're totally messed up in their heads about Jesus and what he did for them. You can't do that. We can't just live that way anymore. It's not in line with the truth of the gospel. And if you look in verse 5 and verse 14, he uses this phrase, the truth of the gospel, the truth of the good news, that God makes unrighteous people righteous by faith in Jesus Christ. You can't mess with that. You can't. So anyway, what happened is, is that by this confrontation, we realize that Paul actually helped Peter a lot. Friends, notice that Paul doesn't say, hey, I'm smarter than you, you forgot, nah, 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 nah. No, what he says is, when you forget, let's remind each other of what Jesus Christ has done. And a, and a, and a while later, in Acts 15, all the Christian leaders get together, both Jewish and Gentile, and say, okay, what do we need to tell Gentile Christians they need to do once they trust Christ? Do we tell them they need to become Jewish or we tell them that they can follow Jesus without all that extra add-on? Look at what it says in Acts 15, if you would. Here's the conversation. But then some of the believers who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees stood up and insisted, the Gentile converts must be circumcised and required to follow the law of Moses. So the apostles and elders met together to resolve this issue. At the meeting, after a long discussion, Peter stood and addressed them as follows. This is Peter now, Cephas. Brothers, you all know that God chose me from among you some time ago to preach to the Gentiles so that they could hear the good news and believe. God knows people's hearts and he confirmed that he accepts Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them for he cleansed their hearts through faith too. So why are you now challenging God by burdening the Gentile believers with a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors were able to bear? We believe that we are all saved the same way by the undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there's a guy that took the rebuke the right way, right? And he understood, okay, I know this has taken me a while to get this, but I want to make sure I do that. So this confrontation, what happens is, is that many Bible scholars believe that verses 15 and onward, all the way to 21, 
is what Paul said to Peter in that confrontation. Remember I told you, Paul's writing this letter to Galatians by saying, I want to help you get unconfused. I want to help you get real clear on what the gospel is. Because when you understand what the gospel is, you'll be free. But when you don't understand the gospel is, you'll be confused and you go back into all kinds of patterns of bondage. So here we go. Let's look at this. And what he tells them in verses 15 and following is how to be justified by faith in one of two things. Okay? So here it is. He says, we who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person... And then he goes on. In verse 16, I've listed this in a little bit more abbreviated form. So read it with me so we can all hear what he says. A person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Verse 17. But if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, it doesn't mean that Christ promote, doesn't it mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. Let me stop and just ask, tell you what he's saying here. These Judaizers would go, look, if you're teaching that we don't necessarily have to obey the law of Moses in order to merit God's salvation, you're encouraging people to live sloppy lives. You're telling them that grace covers everything, therefore it doesn't matter how we live. Paul says, no, I'm not telling people that. I'm telling people is that the motivation that they're doing those things changes. See, when you and I believe that we can save ourselves by what we do, that is the most selfish act in the world. It comes from a terrible motivation. But when you and I are changed because God gives us his acceptance freely through Jesus Christ, and now we live accepted, we do it from a completely different motivation. Now we obey because we are accepted. Now we obey because we want to. Now we obey because God's changing our mind in Jesus Christ. And he says, "Never, absolutely not, I would teach that. In verse 18, if I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. Verse 19, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I could say so much more, but let me just summarize this way. If you listen to the testimony last week, there are few human beings that ever walked the earth that tried harder to please God by obeying the law than the Apostle Paul. And what he's saying is, is at the end of that jag, I was exhausted when I realized that I was still far short. So he says verse 20 is now how he lives differently, and here's the motivation he has now. So would you read it out loud with me in that second gray box, please? I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now what I want you to see in these verses I just read, especially in verse 16, if you look up there in your notes, is three times he uses the word justified. And you could circle them if you want, but in verse 17, he also uses this word justified. So what does it mean to be justified? Well, let me tie it back to the question I asked at the beginning. When God asks you, why should I accept you? Why should I let you into my heaven relationship with me forever? The answer that you and I give will be the way that we think we are justified. It will be whatever we put our faith in to justify us is the issue. And what Paul's trying to sell Peter, tell Peter is, look, you used to be so clear 
in what justified you before God and justified you as a human being, and now you're not so clear. You're going back to your old ways. Now, some of you are here, and you're not Christians. You're still trying to figure out if you're even interested in Jesus, but you're here, maybe because a friend had you come or a family member insisted you come, and you're saying, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, I can tell you that every person in the world is interested in being justified, being validated. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but when the Bible uses the word righteousness, that some people don't even like that word anymore because they've been around self-righteous people, and it just smells to high heaven. But the word righteous is the same word for justified. And look at what Timothy Keller says about righteousness and justification. He says, righteousness is a validated performance record which opens doors. So all of us, even if you're not a Christian here, you're interested in righteousness. You're interested in justification. You may just not be interested in justification before God. But let me explain. If you want a job, what do you pull out before you go to the employer? Your resume. You know what your resume is? Your resume is your performance record that you hope will validate you for that job. You basically pull this out and say, see my experience, see my education, see what I've done, accept me. And so when we do that, we, we uh, do that with jobs. If you want to go to a certain school, oftentimes you need to send the school your what? Your transcripts, your grades. And what you hope is, is that that performance record will validate you with that school. You say, I, will you accept me? Will you let me in? Will you, you know, take, you know, take my performance record seriously? Now, here's the challenge. Because we live in a world that constantly operates this way, we think that's how it works with God. We think that someday when we stand before him, he's going to ask for us to flash our performance record before him, our moral performance record, our character performance record, and he's going to go, oh, okay, I accept you based on that performance record. And here's the truth. The Bible makes it clear in verse 16 is that no one will be justified or accepted by their works of the law, by the way they obey the law. If you're following along in the notes, no one will be justified by law-keeping. And you could translate it and say, no one will be justified by their own moral performance record. And most Americans would absolutely laugh at this. They would say, of course I will. I'm a good person. My moral, my moral uh, you know, uh, performance record is actually way better than other people. You see what's going on there? It has nothing to do with God. It has to do with us comparing ourselves to other people. So anyway, no one will be justified that way. And Paul says, Peter, Come on, you and I are Jewish. We've tried to live by these laws our whole life and fallen short. We know that no one will be accepted on that basis. What a burden, what a yoke to carry. We constantly live with guilty consciences, constantly live with this sense of treadmill. You know, what if I, have I done enough? X's and O's, did a good thing. Oh, I did a bad thing. Now I gotta cover it up with a good thing. See, that's a whole performance record thing. And the Bible says is that now, in Christ, God has made another way to be justified. That's better. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but look at Romans 3. Here's what it says. Romans 3 says, But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. 
as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. He says, you guys are interested in obeying Moses, but did you know that even Moses predicted there would come a day there would be something better than obeying the laws he gave? We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned. How many people have sinned, by the way? Are you in that list? I am. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, with undeserved kindness, declares that we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past, for he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, his justice, for he himself is fair and just, and he declares sinners to be right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. Can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No, because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It is based on faith. Now, if you're following along, what does justified mean? If you're following along in the notes, it means declared to be declared righteous and made right with. It means to be declared righteous and made right with. It's both a legal term and a relational word. It was used in the court systems to say it was the opposite of condemnation. In other words, it meant that you are now no longer guilty. Oh, does anybody need to hear that today? That in Jesus Christ, because of what he has done, you do not have to walk around worrying about your own moral performance record. You can be declared not guilty. Wow, that's really good news for me. And here's the other thing is that justification is also a relational word. So a lot of times over the years, the reason why the gospel has not changed even some Christians' lives is because they've heard it to mean that you're forgiven, but now whenever you sin again, you better work hard. Now he goes, no, you don't understand. You are now not just forgiven, you are justified. Someone has explained it this way. Forgiveness is a negative word. Forgiveness basically says, you may go. The penalty for your sin will no longer fall upon you. That's forgiveness. Justification says, you may come. I welcome you into my presence. I welcome you into a relationship. I welcome you into a whole new status because what my son did in your place, I now give to you. I see you with all the rights and privileges as I see my son. Therefore, when you and I walk around, is that acceptance enough? Oh my goodness. That means that I have the rest of my life here on earth and into eternity to discover what this relationship that is all about Jesus Christ is about. And friends, I'm just getting started. 35 years into it now, I'm just getting tuned up. Because Jesus Christ, getting to know him is unbelievable. And all the things that he makes possible. You know what this means? This means that when you're saying, you know, I wonder, now that I'm a Christian, I wonder if I can pray. Like, I've had a really bad week. Will he accept me? Absolutely. You're already accepted. The word justified means a past completed action that has ongoing rippling effects. 
And when you see Christians that begin to be hit by this, it's unbelievable. And you can see now why the Judaizers go, that's too easy. We got to have, we got to do something. I got to be able to prove that I'm worthy of that. And you go, Paul goes, that's just pride, man. That's just pride. Can you receive his gift or not? Because that's how it all gets started. No one will be able to stand before Jesus on God on that day and say, you should let me in because of what I did. The law is spelled do. Christ is spelled done. What Christ has done on the cross was enough. And it has accomplished great things. So if you're following along, Paul says God justifies all who live by faith in Christ alone. God justifies all who live by faith in Christ alone. I entitled this message by faith in. And I know that's weird. It's got a hanging preposition. And I know some of you English teachers are probably disappointed in me. But the reason I wanted it to be called by faith in is because it really is a question of how you live by faith in what? Is it your moral performance record that you're hoping to validate you? Because, you know, I'll tell you what, that leads a whole different direction if you decide to live that jag. But if you are living by faith in what Christ has already done for you, and in his acceptance, you will live a different way. This morning, I got here early, and my car was parked out of ways in the lot, and it was raining. And I was getting wet, but I had some time to think, and as I was walking up, I was thinking to myself, oh man, it's raining a lot today, so there won't be many people at church. And I was starting to just feel like, as a pastor, it's all up to, you know, to us pastors to try and get you guys to come to church. I was going, what in the world? Where is that coming from? And I realized that what was going on was that even after knowing Jesus Christ, I still try and look for acceptance in the eyes of people or in how I can come off, or our church. Wow, it's packed out. Look at that parking lot. Friends, that's fine if God's doing it, and if God's alive. But if that becomes the way that I see myself, accept me because of my performance record, oh, it just became heavy, and immediately I sensed the Holy Spirit going, Jeff, 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 Jeff. (laughs) Rebuke time. (laughs) It was a loving rebuke. You are not living in line with the gospel. The word in line with means ortho. Some of you went to the orthodontist. What do they do with your teeth? Straighten them, right? Some of you have been to an orthopedic surgeon. What do they do? They straighten your bones, right? And Paul Paul was saying to Peter, Peter, come on, recalibrate the way you're thinking right now. Live in line with the gospel, because when you do, it is such a blessing. But when you don't, everything rolls back on you. Come on. So he wants us to be free. And notice this thing. If I'm justified by work I do, Christ died for nothing. That's really what he's saying in verse 21. He's saying, look, if you really believe you're justified by what you do, then the cross was an absolute waste of Jesus' time. Most of us would just go, thanks, Jesus, that's really nice. I'm glad you love me, but I'll, 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 I'll make up the difference of what your cross wasn't able to accomplish for me. Is that ludicrous or what? When Jesus Christ died on the cross, we studied this in John 19.30, he cried out, it is finished. Paid in full. D-O-N-E, done. Now, people before they even care about me, 
can be accepted into a relationship with me. I will offer it freely for all who are humble enough to receive my gift. So there is no boasting in that. None. Some of you might go, well, at least I had the faith. My faith is really good. Really? That's faith in your faith. Your faith is in Jesus. And what he's done, it's like simply taking the rope that someone offers you and let them pull you up. Friends, every other religious system in the world believes that our relationship with God, our justification, our acceptance comes by what we do. It's us reaching up to God. But in Jesus Christ, there is one brand new way of righteousness in which God reaches down to us. And before we even gave a rip about him, he offered us the most righteous offer. And it justifies us. And now you and I walk around differently. Let me explain this last line of this section. Trusting Christ in his grace frees us from pride and prejudice. I believe there was a book and a movie with that same title. Pride and prejudice. So what do I, what I mean? Look, if I'm justified not on anything I do, can I brag? Can I be proud about that? It was a gift. So now there's no way that I can look at other people and go, oh, I earned my salvation. How about you? Oh, really? You received a gift? Huh, bummer. No. So that means that I also don't look at people. Every person I ever meet then, no matter what their religious background, no matter how far they are from God, you know what this means? You have never locked eyes with someone that doesn't matter to God. And therefore, he wants us to come, and he opens the door freely because his performance record opens doors that no one else can open. And on that day when you stand before him, what are you going to say? So as we close, here's, here's the big idea. What are you living by faith in? I left a blank there. I'm living by faith in, if I was to be really honest, I'm living by faith in my family heritage. I'm living by my own cleverness. I'm living by my own moral performance record. I'm living by my connections. I'm living by my spiritual knowledge. Really? If that's what you're living by faith in, friends, then that's not going to help you. Not only on the day of judgment, but today. You'll live a totally different way. But here's the good news. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day where you can say, I'm giving up that performance record, and I'm going to die. The old Jeff's going to die. The old me's going to die. And on the cross, it was killed. And now I, because Christ died and rose again, He's given me a new performance record, a new status. I literally can come into God's presence, not just someday in heaven, but right now. I can say, I'm the one that Jesus justified. It's me, Lord, Jeff, your new, dearly loved child. Show me how to do this life with you. And uh, so, you know, Galatians 2.20, do you see it there in the second grade box? Some of you... It might just help you. It's helped me this week. If you were to write that verse, just as it is, on a note card or a post-it note, and you were to carry it around with you this week, and every day, many times throughout the day, learn how to say, I have been crucified with Christ. In other words, when Jesus died, by faith, I was united to him at that point. He took my performance record and nailed it to the cross, as broken as it was. 
And then he gave me his performance record, and now he lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, in the body, the rest of my time here on earth and into eternity, I live by faith in, by dependence. It means to believe into. That means that just as I've got these notes here, I believe into Jesus so that Jesus and I do everything together, and I learn how to do life with him. And it's a constant learning process, but I wouldn't want it any other way. This is what the life he's called us to. So you may want to write that down and just say that again and again. But teach us to live by faith in you and what you've done for us is this closing prayer. Teach us to live by faith in you and what you've done for us. What would happen if we just said, oh man, I've been living by faith in my performance. I've been living by faith in my own righteousness. Teach me how to live by faith in you, Jesus. Now, I'm not a rapper, but I wrote a rap, and it's going to be terrible. But I hope it gets the point across. Last night, I was just thinking about this, and it hit me. So here we go. By faith, then, Christ now lives in and changes what I boast in. Jesus is my justification. By faith, then, Christ now lives in and changes what I boast in. Jesus' cross is my justification. Hallelujah. The burden off my shoulder is so different when I live by reliance and humble dependence and saying, Jesus, I want to do everything with you. I want to learn how to trust in you and not in myself. Show me how to do this life, both now and forever. It's by grace. We're saved by faith in him. No one can boast. You ready for communion? In just a moment, we're going to be passed out the different elements. And uh, the bread will come first. Like, so the bread and the cup, excuse me, come in two cups stacked on top of each other, in case this is new for you. And you may be saying, you know, do I take communion? Here's the question. What's your faith in? Is your faith in something other than Jesus Christ? Then here, I have two ideas for you. One is, that could change today. Would you be willing to transfer your trust in yourself or anything else to the gospel of Jesus Christ and in him? Because if you are, you're a follower of Christ, you are now justified, it's done. And you can begin to live differently. It's a gift of his grace. And you can take communion for the very first time as a brand new Christian.